engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for a limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. I'm joined today by my very good buddy, the marketing manager here at Phelps Game Calls, Dirk Durham. Um, for everybody out there kind of wanting to know his turkey calling credentials, he has won exactly zero turkey calling contests. He's been in exactly zero turkey calling contests, um, but he's a dang good elk hunter. And, and one thing that we're going to kind of explain here is we love turkey hunting. We may not be the, the best at it. We may not know everything about it, but um, we're going to dive into why it just got this bad image uh, amongst the Western hunters, why it's not as cool as calling in, you know, maybe an 800 pound bull elk. Um, but then maybe why they should consider it cool and why it is a bunch of fun and something to do in the spring. So welcome, Dirk. Oh, hey there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have been in some turkey calling contests. Oh, you have? All right, with, I'm going to correct turkeys. myself there. Okay. okay. With turkeys. Oh, with turkeys. Okay. <laughs> the, the real judge? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, we've got to chase elk all over, you know, every fall. We also love the turkey hunt. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say as much, but um, it, it's definitely fun. It's something to go out there and do every spring. And so that's what we're going to dive into. But uh, first, we're going to jump into a few of our listeners' questions here um, that we've got. Uh, so the first one is, I've never hunted turkey before. What are the must-haves? So I'm, I'm taking this question as I don't need to go out and buy everything. Uh, but what are the must-haves? I'll let you take this, Dirk, and I'll see if I can add to your list at all. But, it, it, you know, I... I feel we should keep the list simple, you know, whatever it is for calls, whatever it is for gear, you know, shotgun, um, that sort of stuff. Like, what's the minimum you can go out with in the spring and, and be successful? Yeah, so if you're a diaphragm guy um, or girl, you can definitely get by with just diaphragms. Um, you can locate with diaphragms. You can call them in with diaphragms. Um, but I will say there are some days that diaphragms sometimes just don't cut the mustard. I, I call as 
loud or as different or as soft as I want. And sometimes I just don't get any response, but man, you break out a box call and wow. I mean, it's just a game changer. Um, I don't know if it's just that sharp pitch of a box call or what, but, uh, I, I feel like that's like a gotta have, like, um, they're easy to use, especially for new callers. They're just super easy to use. They're versatile and, uh, it's a great way to mix it up. Yeah. And, and I'll take it, you know, as far as what weapon you need, if you're an archery hunter, you know, you can just take your normal archery setup. Um, if you're going to go out there with a shotgun, any 12 or 20 gauge will work, especially with today's ammunition, some of the TSS loads and some of the crazy stuff they have out there. Like you can dang near take a 410 now. Um, and they've became a viable option now that there are TSS loads and you can get so many pellets out there. Um, so, and, you know, any shotgun with, with the right ammunition, um, you know, a couple diaphragms, uh, you know, a pot call with a couple strikers, but you know, I, I wouldn't say they're, they're must haves. It's just nice to have, because like Dirk said, some days those turkeys will answer one versus the other pot call is just like the box call. Very easy to use. Um, you know, and I would say it's not an absolute must have, but it makes the whole thing a lot more enjoyable. Some sort of seating pad or a seat. Um, you know, you don't necessarily need decoys. They're nice to have, but as far as the must haves, you know, some way to locate the bird, um, and then some way to call it in and then some way to kill it. So, you know, your, your bow or shotgun, uh, a couple calls, whether it's a diaphragm, a pot call, and then, um, you know, most importantly, you need some birds on the property you're hunting and, and have them, you know, fairly well scouted out. Man, I couldn't agree more like on that seating, the seating pad. You know, I've been the tough guy all these years and, you know, you sit down on the ground and it's cold and it's wet and sometimes uncomfortable. And last year when we were hunting with our good buddy, Randy Milligan in Missouri, not Missouri, in Kansas, uh, he had these little seats, these super low profile uh, seats for hunting, for turkey hunting. And to me, that was a game changer. I... Man, it was so comfortable. Yeah. You could sit there motionless comfortably forever. Whereas yeah. the other option is sit on the ground and man, your butt gets cold or tired, or your legs go numb or whatever. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I noticed, Dirk, you you didn't fall asleep at all on that first night when we didn't have the seats. And once we had those seats, you were like three for six on naps. <laughs> so it was yeah, the, the comfort level definitely rose um, when we... No, it, it is. It's just the more time... You know, I don't have very much patience, but um, the more patient you can be in gear like seats or a good seat um, can definitely add to, you know, the the, the fun and, and the comfort of it, but also the success if, if you have the ability to sit in an area, you know, as long as you need to without getting antsy or like Dirk said, your legs falling asleep um, is, is going to lead to a lot more turkeys being killed. Um, the second question we have, we'll jump into this before we jump into our discussion. My question uh, for Dirk is, uh, what are your go-to turkey locator tactics, which will play right into how we locate elk and the way we like to do it. But as far as locating turkeys, and, and I, there, this is probably a two-part question, Dirk. I would say, how do we locate turkeys while we're hunting? And then how do we try to like, uh, locate turkeys, you know, either for the roost or using, you know, non-turkey sounds to locate turkeys? So for, for years, and until actually last year when we came out with that new crow call, um, the meat eater X Phelps crow call, then, um, I just used my voice. I would either use owl hoots or, um, or crow calls. So I would, or more of a more North Idaho. We don't have crows really. We have ravens, right? So, um, I would just use my voice. <laughs> you always kind of feel weird doing it too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you start going like, especially if you're with somebody who's a new turkey hunter and they don't know anything about it. 
my wife or kids and and you you get out of the truck or you hike around and you're going I mean it it gets it gets kind of weird for like whoa yeah they're a little taken back yeah why are you scaring (laughs) these things away (laughs) yeah and in fact um elk hunting before in the fall i've had turkeys answer my bugle in the fall you know they're they don't typically bugle or gobble a lot in the fall but um i've had them answer me from the roost tree in the fall yeah I don't like to use coyote howls and stuff when the turkeys are on the ground or when I have to hunt them. So like in the morning and stuff, but that's kind of our go-to locator at night. Once they're up in a tree, if you give a good yip um, and get those turkeys so we can locate them in the roost for the, the next morning. But once they're, you know, let's say it's it's early morning and we actually have to hunt the birds. I don't want to put any extra pressure or concern on them that there's a coyote on the ground in my direction. So we use a lot of crow calls. Similar to you, I cut my hands and do kind of a, a hooter, you know, an owl hooter sound that we use, um, you know, pileated woodpecker. And then a lot of times once we get going on the hunt, we're just using our turkey calls. You know, it seems like a hen yelp or a little bit of cutting seems to get them going maybe more so than, than the straight locator. But we kind of just play to what they're responding to. If we're getting them to answer a crow call, we'll stick with it. If they're answering, you know, hen calls, then, then we'll stick with them. But yeah, we reserve that uh, coyote howl for roosting them at night, which seems to be, you know, our our best tactic as far as nighttime locating. So yeah, that's that's how we go about um, locating turkeys while we're hunting or while we're putting them to bed and, and roosting them. Now we're going to roll into to our discussion, and um, we appreciate all your guys' questions and uh, keep them rolling in, but. Um, we're going to dive in fairly deep or as deep as we can. We're, we're going to kind of keep it light. Um, you know, there's just been this big, you know, front that, that turkey hunting isn't cool. Don't compare it to elk hunting, you know, like all these little rules from these Western guys on, on how it's not cool to, to maybe turkey hunt. And, and so we're going to go through compare and contrast these things. And then the end kind of like, what's our verdict? Is it very similar? Are these guys just, uh, you know, trying to maintain status by not turkey hunting and uh, why I think ultimately we're going to be able to say why you should be turkey hunting every spring if you like to call animals in. Yeah, I think there's some weird bravado or something us Westies, as the East Eastern folk call us. <laughs> us Westies have a lot of us, you know, are like, ah, turkeys, they're stupid or whatever. They're dumb. It's a dumb bird or whatever. But um, it's nothing like elk hunting. But there there are some definitely some crossovers and similarities. And um, yep. I I think, you know. A lot of us out west, we're just not that good at it compared to the folks that just live and breathe it. So, and yep. it, it, it can be frustrating. So, I think there could be some of that too, some animosity towards turkeys from us guys out in the west. Yeah, I've said it before. You know, everybody likes to label turkeys as a dumb bird. You know, I could drive down the road and shoot them on my window, and which is true until you have a shotgun in your hand and like step outside your door, and then they become maybe the smartest bird, you know, on the ground. And so it's, <laughs> it's, why they seem very, um, you know, not very intelligent uh, at quick glance, like when you try to hunt them. And, and it, as long as you say that you, you know, you're not going to shoot them off the road, you're not going to shoot them as you drive by, you're not going to shoot them out of a tree and, and go and hunt them, um, they become, you know, fairly, fairly challenging. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm not so sure if they're super intelligent. I don't believe that, but they are like next level tricky. Like they want to, ha- they have a will to survive. And they're a master of avoiding danger um, with yep. those eyes, and they're just they're just really good at avoiding danger. Yeah, and just just their like daily timeline of you know them all flying out of a tree, 
the toms thing with the hen, why we want to be out there and call them in. And then just the, the, I guess their daily routine makes him very, you know, sometimes difficult to kill because he's not going to leave the hens that he's with until they go to nest. And by that time we're ready for a sandwich and we're heading in for lunch. So there's just things that are in place that just, you know, turkeys are just doing what turkeys do, but it seems to make them tough to, to hunt at times or to, or to get that tom to break off. Yep. I agree. Yep. So let's compare how we like to locate elk compared to how we typically locate turkeys and kind of walk through that process. So, you know, we've always said, you know, elk hunting, you can either locate with a location bugle or you can uh, locate using your binoculars. The same can be said for turkeys. You can locate them by glassing them up. But a lot of times I would say you lo- we locate more turkeys by being audible. They're a little tougher to spot. You're not going to sit across the canyon necessarily. You can and look for them, you're mainly going to hear them talking to you or you're going to spot them at like the back of an ag field or something. The one major difference which we can jump into is turkeys can be located with shot gobbles. We can use other sounds, you know, whether it's crows, peacocks, some of their natural predators out there, some of the the animals or birds they don't like, um, you know, door slamming, elk bugles during the spring, you know, almost any loud sound we can use to locate them, which does give us a little bit of an advantage on locating turkeys because, you know, when you locate with an elk call, you've now announced yourself as a cow or a bull and, and their attention is now drawn to you versus if you're using a turkey call, you can locate them with a call or you can use a shot gobble, which now they're not necessarily as concerned or paying as much attention to the direction that your crow call came from because they're not, you know, as focused. So let's walk through Dirk, like, you know, a little more in depth, how we locate elk and then how we go about locating turkeys as far as like, take us through a day. You didn't have a, an elk spotted. We're just going to go run ridges versus you don't have, you know, turkeys roosted. How are you going to go locate and how those, you know, compare and defer? Well, I think folks who are big turkey hunters, they call it run and gun, running and gunning, right? So you're basically covering a lot of ground quickly and you're just, you're just trying to pick up a bird with your locate locator calls. Um, you may stay in one spot and call for just a little bit, you know, whether it's a minute or two. And if you don't get a response, you move on to the next spot and you're just trying to cover as much ground as you can to find turkeys. And we do the same thing with elk hunting. Um, it's uncanny really, um, covering a ridge system, calling into every little nook and cranny of a draw or, or up onto a ridge. Um, it, it goes to the same thing with turkeys, you know. Um, if if you have a terrain feature in between you and the turkeys, sometimes you have to get to the top of that that terrain feature. Let's say it's a, a ridge. Maybe you're going to have to climb to the top of that ridge. Even even the most subtle of ridges um, on the backside could be a little hollow or something, or a draw where a turkey's at, and you couldn't hear him. And maybe he couldn't even hear you. Uh, but you have to kind of eliminate ground by just covering as much country as you can, pitching your calls out there and kind of looking for those responses. Yep. And that's, it's very similar for me as well. Like aside from glassing them, if, if we're, you know, turkey hunting in Eastern Washington, which is similar to some of the country we elk hunt, um, we're going to jump up, get on a ridge. That way we can, you know, utilize both sides of the ridge covered twice as much ground versus being down in a bottom or, you know, uh, half hill on one side and then we're just going to throw locations off of both sides whether it's you know loud yelps whether it's crow calls and you know whether it's a location bugle for elk we're just we're literally sound checking every little pocket 
every little area walking down that ridge and we're just looking for a response so we can get that game started as we walk down that ridge um and run you know versus if we're where we were in kansas last year when we're you know in, in a more flat area you know you're looking more of that fringe area you know you're you're on the edge you're maybe calling down into those bottoms um you're calling into to terrain differences but you're not necessarily running ridges like that so um, real similar yeah. as far as how we locate them how you want to get up let the sound travel a little bit farther and um seems to be you know you know i was just thinking about how i relocate turkeys uh and elk you know sometimes um maybe it's the first day you're there into a new area and you've just never been in that place um you know I, i'm driving all the roads and checking out the lay of the land i'm checking out where all the other hunters are hunting and uh i don't typically want to hunt elk or turkeys by everyone else so i'm getting the lay of the land seeing where everybody is is at but you can also spot a lot of turkeys out of the truck you know especially when you know they're they're chasing chasing uh hens from like the feeding area to their bedding area or from their bedding area to their feeding area um you can catch them crossing roads you can see them out in clear cuts you can see them in the, the fringe of maybe big meadows um, just covering country. If you just have nowhere, no idea where even where to start, you know, getting, getting some glass, doing a little glass in here and there, but just covering a lot of ground with your eyes and then diving in from there and doing the, the run and gun technique is just great. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. You know, learn, learn the land, learn where you would want to be. You know, if you were a turkey, you know, if you use your past turkey hunting experience to kind of figure out the area and then, you know, like you said, get away from people and focus on that. So let's uh, let's assume we've located some turkeys, um, similar to let's assume we've located some elk. We have a pretty good system dialed in for elk. You know, we we check the wind, which we don't have to do for turkeys. We we move in close. Thank God. Use the yeah yeah. They would be really tough to kill. If, um, you know, but we we get the wind right. We we figure out kind of the terrain and the vegetation we're dealing with. We get close, and then we you know, for us we typically bugle, but we might start with like a lower progression and work up. What does your system or your turkey hunting script look like as far as, all right, we've located them. Now, what are we going to do? And I, I would say after hunting, you know, with you, getting to turkey hunt with you, we've got a fairly, you know, scripted system the same way. Like we're, we're going to move in the same way Chris Parrish and, you know, Randy and all the guys we've turkey hunted with. You're literally locating birds. The only difference is we don't have to check the wind now. Um, but how do you feel like that part, of your turkey hunting like strategy compares to your elk hunting and where they may defer it's very very similar um once i have them located i want to get close i want to get close as i can without getting picked off by their eyesight but with turkeys i feel like i i can't get quite as close sometimes even in like thicker cover um as i can with elk or if i do i have to get super sneaky and just like really not get picked off Elk, I think you can get a little, even, you know, elk a lot of times, you know, they're living and dying by their nose, but they rely on their, their, their first defense is, is, is their eyesight. And, um, I gotta, I gotta get pretty close to them. And sometimes I think a person can get away with a little bit more with elk than you can with turkey. Turkeys just cannot, they're just so tough and they're so small 
and then they have this little periscope head, I call it. Their little head peeks up over little little terrain features over logs. Maybe they're standing in a dip and they peek over the dip. And it's really hard to see that little periscope head looking at you sometimes. And they pick you off so easy. So I, I try not to get as aggressive or get as close as I do with elk before I start calling on my setup. Yep, I'm... I'm the same way, and what seems to happen is every time I've tried to get super aggressive, move in on the bird, they're harder to spot. You know, it's a a 20-pound turkey versus an 800-pound yellow elk. Um, So a lot of times I get caught, like, not seeing them first, where elk, I feel like I've got a pretty good chance of spotting them first because I'm looking for them, and they're not necessarily looking for a person walking through the woods. So that was number one. Like, a lot of times I bust turkeys a lot more than I do elk. And uh, number two is even if you are moving super slow, um, you know, I, I, I'm probably guilty of not glassing enough when I approach elk, but with turkeys, I got to really slow down, use, you know, your binoculars. I carry tens with me everywhere, but you know, back East eights might make more sense, but you know, really just glass everywhere you're walking to be a little more patient. And it seems like as we're approaching a lot of times turkeys, maybe even more so than elk, they just kind of shut up for no other reason than they just don't want to gobble for a second. And even though they're right there at 100, 150 yards, they just haven't gobbled in a while. And you get, you know, I get impatient. I end up walking closer to where I thought the turkey was and end up busting them somewhere. Either those turkeys were on their way or they did just clam up and be quiet. They didn't want to gobble. Um, and then, yeah, the beauty of turkey hunting, this is the, you know, I guess you replace it. They can't smell versus an elk can smell, but their eyesight's so much better. So it is the thing I actually like better about turkey hunting, and it isn't so much of a challenge, is I can approach the exact, you know, uh, you know, as the crow flies. I can just go that direction at a turkey versus, hey, guess what? I got to climb up around this ridge. I got to drop over the other side, drop down, you know, and elk hunting a lot of times we're trying to do these big, you know, big ass loops to get around them or keep the wind somewhat consistent. Uh, you know, one of the most frustrating things, I think anybody that's, you know, archery elk hunted or had to be close elk hunting I think it's unanimous that the wind screws up that more than anything else. So I think, you know, their eyesight, you can trick it. Um, but it is nice hunting turkeys. Like, hey, we don't have to, you know, get a wind checker out and, and mess with that. You can just go at them. Yeah, exactly. And another th- thing that's very similar, though, to elk, too, um, is when I try to set up for elk, I want to set up in an area to make it easy for a bull to come to me, right? Yep. Same with turkeys. Um, don't set up on turkeys where, gosh, there's a nasty big brush pile be- between you and the turkey. Yep. Sometimes, you know, he's not going to want to strut through the middle of that brush pile. Yep. Uh, maybe he won't want to cross a creek. Maybe it won't be a fence. Maybe he don't want to cro- cross a fence. It's the same with elk. You know, you want to set up to where it's just like super easy for them to come to you. Um, you want to make it as, as desirable for them to come over and, and fight or breed as you can. Yep. Yep. So, all right, we, we've, we've got, we've, we've got our approach. We figured out how we're going to get close. You know, Dirk saying we're not going to get as close because we can't be as aggressive. Let's say you finally got your, your good setup. This is a spot it's going to happen. What, what call are you going to first? And then kind of what's going through your head on an elk, you know, we play the temperament versus what's going through your head on, on a turkey. And then I'll follow up with kind of how I think about that as well, because uh, we, I, I think this is where it made the fur kind of a little bit from our elk hunting strategy um, to turkeys. Well, as with elk, I'm usually experimenting with that elk to see what call he reacts to the best. Um, 
some folks will say, oh man, there's a, here's, here's your go-to silver bullet elk call. Like if you do this elk call, they're going to come running, but gosh, I just haven't found that. Um, I just kind of called it this, the disposition of the bull and whatever he replies to and the one, and you can tell when he really likes something or really doesn't like something, you know, maybe he gets, you can hear the change of tone in his voice. Um, so that makes it easy to kind of know what, what he really likes. Now, turkeys, I don't know that, you know what, I haven't hunted him enough to tell the difference between when he's getting mad versus a regular gobble. And maybe there's yeah, no difference. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But, but for turkeys, I'm, I'm going to give him the same, you know, I'm going to give him some calls and whatever he reacts to. Okay. He likes those. That'll probably kind of what be what I stick with. But, um, as I've learned, you know, just to call, just to make him gobble a lot, that's maybe not what I should do. You know, it's fun to say, yeah. oh man, here he, oh, he gobbled again. Keep calling, keep calling. But sometimes, you know, once you kind of get him on the hook, less is more, uh, yeah. I think. Um, let him start having to come seek you out, find you out, and maybe even just shut up for a while and let him get kind of worried like, hey, did those hens leave? Um, so that's kind of my mode of operation. Yeah, very similar. Uh, you know, we... The one major difference I would say is, is, you know, and I'm speaking for you and me, like our approach to elk is a lot of times I would say 80 to 90% of the time we're throwing in, um, you know, bull sounds. So it's, it's, you know, whether we want to call it bull to bull communication versus on the turkey calling side, I would say it's the complete opposite. Maybe five to 10% of the time, are we going to actually gobble at a Tom that we're trying to call in? So with that said, um, in the elk calling world, we will throw in more, you know, uh, cow sounds, calf sounds. But then I would say our calling system plays on the temperament of the uh, of the bull we're trying to call in, it, and we try to get him fired up, you know, through bugling most of the time. Um, we'll both agree that we would call an elk in with cow calls any day of the week. It's not as fun, but um, we're not we're not above that. Versus on the turkey calling side, we're also playing to their temperament, but we're using hen sounds um, the majority of the time and gobbling a lot less. Um, so you are, you know, kind of changing your tactic on bull to bull versus hen to hen to gobbler or hen to tom type speak. And, you know, a lot of times, like you said, be quiet. We use a lot of the same tactics. If that turkey is gobbling kind of half-heartedly, you know, we set out a seven yelps and that turkey gobbles maybe 10 seconds later. It's like, well, he wasn't really gobbling at me, but maybe we got him, you know, with his head up and he seen another hen and he gobbled versus, you know, the same thing with an elk. If if we bugle and he doesn't hit us right back, we're like, oh, he's not fired up at all. He's he's just kind of he's semi-interested. And then similar to that, I think we're always trying to turn, you know, what we call turn the temperature up on the elk. It's like if we can slowly work him into being a pissed off bull, or if we can slowly work him into caring more about our calls. I think we do that with a turkey a lot as well. Like, oh, he's he's slowly you know, gobbling and then you're like, well, he gobbled and maybe you cut fairly quickly after, like you're trying to get him interested in what you've got going on. But the same thing, if, if a bull seems, you know, half interested, maybe we shut up. If, if a turkey seems half interested, maybe we shut up and just see if he comes, you know, over our direction. So as far as calling strategies, I think there's a lot of similarities. The main difference is, you know, we're the bull trying to fight with a bull for the chance at his cows versus on the turkey side, we're a hen just kind of, you know, calling him away from his hens or to come over and check you out, which, 
in both instances go against kind of the way nature works. You know, a turkey gobbles so that a hen will come find him. We're trying to reverse that. An elk bugles so a cow will go find him. We're bugling so that he will come fight us so we can take his cows. So that's that's kind of how I look at, at what we're trying to do with our calls there. Yeah, that's, that's a really great uh, point, Jason. Um, I, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've like gobbled at a turkey to try to call it in in the last years you know it, you just, yep. it's just not common you just don't do it um, yeah and then you know trying to get a, a call that replicates a good gobble is, t- is hard too yeah there's there's lots of reasons you know why it seems like gobbling's always just kind of been a last resort there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now let's go into more of the you know how do we find them um you know we mentioned earlier like you know it's easy i i like turkey hunting and and i'm not necessarily saying it's easier than elk hunting 
But if we've did our job the night before, like a lot of times I know I'm going to start within 100 to 120 yards of a roost tree. So every morning I go out turkey hunting light, I know there's going to be action. Now I would say, you know, 75% of the time I know when I go out elk hunting, I'm at least going to be somewhere in the elk from either the day prior or we've just got ourselves into a spot um, that's going to be good. But let's go into how we find you know, turkeys and make sure we're in the action versus how we go about, you know, finding elk, whether it's, you know, getting up on the highest point, glassing the most amount of country, you know, make, checking their feed areas, just knowing where elk want to be versus, all right, let's say we've got them in the roost trees. Then, and, and this depends a little bit, whether we're hunting Merriam's in Eastern Washington or whether we're hunting Eastern's, you know, uh, back in the Midwest, like there are different ways and different strategies on where we're going to go find, um, you know, those turkeys, but go through kind of, uh, and we have a little bit like the differences on, you know, finding elk. So we think of things like, you know, open parks in the high country, you know, where I live here in Southwest Washington, clear cuts is where they're going to find their food. And then we go into like what I would almost consider like our subcategory. It would be like wallows. Um, you know, some of these other places that we, we focus on, you know, uh, passes through a ridge versus are there any similarities with turkeys, you know, like dusting zones. So some of those things, Dirk, if you can go into that, like, as an elk hunter, we've got five or six types of areas that we love to go look for elk versus on the turkey side, you know, aside from the roost tree, like how are we going to go find these turkeys and, and, and compare it to, to finding elk? Some of the places I love to find turkeys, um, a lot of times in that, in that afternoon, for some reason, they, I call them strutting grounds. Yep. Um, and these places, a lot of times are like a fringe area, you know, they, Maybe and maybe it's a knoll. It's just a little higher spot um, where they can see and can be seen. Um, let's say these toms don't even have hens, but they like to go out and just kind of strut. It's usually like two or three toms. You know, it's like three buddies out there flexing in front of a mirror, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to impress some some ladies, get some attention. Yeah. But uh, it's usually at the fringe of timber, or maybe you're in a it's in a, a clear cut, but it's at the edge. You know, and and a lot of times it's maybe or a, a small, a small meadow or something, you know, kind of a small meadow. That's not, you know, it's, you're not looking at a meadow. That's a, a few hundred acres. Maybe it's a, a meadow that's a five, 10 acres um, yep. where they feel like they can, ex they can expose themselves without being too exposed. If you, if you see what yep. I mean. Yep. So I really love like trying to find those places. And sometimes, you know, that's like I was talking before when I'm trying to cover country and I haven't even found any turkeys. Those are the kind of places I would look now. Compare and contrast, you know, you tend to find elk in the same kind of places. They like fringes, you know, you're yep. typically at, you know, in the evenings or in the mornings, you don't find them right smack dab in the middle of a thousand acre clear cut or a, a giant open hillside. A lot of times at dawn and dusk, they're going to be in the edge, you know, getting ready to come out yep. and feed. Whereas turkeys, they're on the fringe. They're getting ready to go to bed. You know, they're trying to gather up in the evening. They're going to try to, you know, hey, ladies, we're over here. Our roost tree's here. And then finally they'll they'll go to roost. Um, yep. But those fringe type areas are great places to set up. Um, in the past, you know, I've, I've chased turkeys where I have a heck of a time in the morning getting them to come to me off the roost. You know, all they care about is chasing those, those hens around and leave me in the dust. Yeah. But a lot of times a great tactic I like to do is if I know they, they kind of like to strut their, their little strutting grounds, I'll go set up near those places, whether 
it's in the afternoon, maybe it's in the evening. I want to get on their pathway to where they roost and then call them in on the, on their path to the roost because they're going to come that direction anyway. And, oh, hey, there's a hen right over here. I'm going to just detour just slightly and get over to her and, and uh, check her out before we go to bed. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're checking, you know, wallows compared to dusting areas or strutting areas where they're checking, you know, passes in the ridge for, for elk movement. Um, we do a lot of, there are a lot of similarities, maybe not the same areas where we're going to see if like a turkey's went through a pass, you know, on a, on a ridgeline, but, um, you know, changes in terrain have, have been, you know, a spot I always go and look, if it's a big steep hillside and there's a bench through it, um, for some reason, turkeys just like elk love to sit at that kind of grade break or that difference in terrain. You know, the thing can be covered with the same vegetation all the way up. But if you put a little bench out there, it's just, you know, turkeys don't necessarily need to be there, but it seems like they hang out there. And my ultimate favorite way to find turkeys in the middle of the day or, you know, at a time where I'm not on anything. So rather than cold calling is just old two tracked roads kind of through the forest. Um, for whatever reasons, whether turkey like to be seen, you know, whether it's Tom's like and display and be seen, um, we've, we've did, you know, I would say over 50% of our birds, um, in Eastern Washington or even here in Western Washington have been killed off of old two tracks, you know, through the woods, like an old skitter road, um, an old two track that, you know, might just have a couple ruts in it and it's grass the rest of the way. Like those birds like to use the path of least resistance as they move through, you know, they don't like to get wet. So they're just walking down a two track, Um, you know, they're kind of bugging, they're kind of feeding as they go along that. And it seems like, you know, walking those roads is more productive than, than doing anything else, um, you know, in the middle of the day. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. Um, I find a lot of turkey sign, turkey um, scat tracks, and then just, you find a lot of turkeys in those old two tracks, especially um, in a lot of places in North Idaho, especially if it's, if they're, the forest is pretty overgrown and the, and the road's been there a long time. You'll find like little, little, uh, patches of clover, um, yeah. you know, that that's been planted by, you know, whatever logging company or whoever, whatever they planted in there, or maybe the deer planted it just by, you know, yeah. passing Moving it through around. seeds, yeah. through their bowels or whatever. But, um, uh, turkeys love that stuff. And then, like you say, they're bugging. There's, it seems like there's a lot of bugs on old two track roads yeah. and, you know, maybe, maybe it's a muddy road and there was a hard rain the night before probably find a lot of worms in that yeah, road. Yeah. So worms it's a great up. place for them to feed and it's, they can move through it easily. And you know what? It's, it's just quick and easy to get places. Yeah. And, and we're going to, I'm going to move this point up a little bit. We're going to talk about like finding sign and how you can use that to be more effective, just like we do elk hunting. Um, those two tracks are, in my opinion, the best place to look for scat, look for tracks, like what kind of turkey numbers are around. You can see different ages of tracks. So it's like, oh, they were obviously here a day or two ago versus, oh, they were also here two or three weeks ago um, versus the way we go and look for elk sign. You know, we're looking for rubs, trying to age those based on, you know, bark. So one of the main differences is, you know, I guess it would be kind of in place scouting. You know, a lot of people look at scouting as, is what, you know, for elk hunting, what we've seen in July and August leading up to the hunt. You know, the same thing with turkey. We scout a lot in March. We go out and locate, just listen. Um, but during the hunt, let's say you didn't have a chance to go scout the area. Uh, by walking these two tracks, I feel you get a lot more information than let's say, you know, Dirk's example earlier of a thousand acre field. Go out in a thousand acre field and try to figure out if there's turkey tracks or if there's scat. It, it becomes very, very difficult versus walking down that two track that's either at the e- edge or the fringe of ag or, 
you know, goes through a bench, um, you know, on, on forest service or what, whatever it may be is I, I seem to gather a lot more information, um, off of that two track, you know, we're finding dusting areas, everything we need to know about, is this a good place to hunt for the next week or, you know, at least the next morning, um, can be found from that two track. Yeah. And a lot of times if it's, you know, typically springtime is not a dry time, but some, some years can be kind of dry in the spring. Um, if there's not a lot of ponds or creeks around, um, there will be some puddles in some of these two tracks and that's a great place to find turkey tracks. And a lot of times you'll see a lot of scat around those, those puddles. So then you can determine, you can tell an old turkey track or a really smoking hot, fresh one and a little bit of mud there. So you're like, oh, wow, they've, they're in here. And a lot of times you'll even pick up, you'll see a feather or two in that area. So, um, yeah, man, there's those two tracks that that's a that's a great place to 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 find them yeah yeah i remember a little bit about my past like watching the the truth series from primos you know you'd watch them like walk the two track through the old hardwood bottom and it's like it just seems like turkeys and two tracks are just meant to be it it seems like a great place you know they were we've hunted off of them forever um and then one thing the reason i like just hitting a two track is it lets me cut the country up really quick um, out here in eastern Washington, where I kind of grew up, cut my teeth turkey hunting, is what we see in March, you know, where a landowner may say, you know, all the turkeys are in the backfield, whatever that may be. These As these flocks start to break up and separate, they the Merriams, for instance, they move a lot greater distance. And so what might have been loaded with turkeys, you know, mid-March, end of March, by the time you get to, you know, April, end of April, they've dispersed. And so going to what you've seen in March might not yield the best results, but by going and running these two tracks, covering a ton of ground, even if you can drive them yourself, um, just look for sign. It gives you, it just cuts that learning curve down really quick when you're there to hunt and, and make sure that you're on birds. Yep. That's great. I talked with Chris Parrish a little bit last week about what he looks for in a setup. Um, but Dirk, tell me what you look for in an, in an elk calling setup. Like this is the place that's going to happen. You know, you'd mentioned earlier, you know, you're looking for for the the elk to have an easy way to come in. We're not trying to, you know, put any any roadblocks or hurdles in their way. What are you looking for when you go to set up on turkeys? Um, you know, this is where you want to call to him. You're 100 yards away. He seems to be coming your direction. Like, what's the ideal setup um, on turkeys versus elk for you? And, and they, I, I believe these share dang near in my opinion every similarity but I'll, I'll see if you can find any differences when you're setting up yeah i'm with you I, it, I i know where your head's at right now on this um you have to kind of picture where the elk is going to first appear and be able to see you wherever he could first appear out of the woods i want to be very very close to that spot and I have to say the same thing about turkeys, you know, I, I want to be close to where the first place he could see me, uh, turkeys now, I don't know if I want to be super close to that spot, but I want to be fairly close within shotgun range, which is, that's pretty close, yep. um, for the most part, you know, um, but, and that's similar to archery range for elk, you know, you want to be pretty close, but, um, man, I don't know if I can pick a a difference there. I, I want to just be super close. Now I will say I will kind of maybe even be, be a little bit more concealed, um, as a turkey hunter than I would be an elk hunter, you know, like I would crawl in behind a bush with just enough room for my shotgun to stick out <laughs> if I'm yep. not sh- trying to shoot one with a bow. Um, 
but for elk, I want to get in front of, you know, said bush or in front of a tree and try to let yep. my camo work more than, more than the surroundings. Cause turkeys are just so darn sharp eyed. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's real similar, you know, an elk, I would say the tree isn't, isn't important of a part of my setup versus like Turkey. I always try to get my back against the tree. That way it's breaking up the majority of my outline. Um, versus elk, ideally, I'd like to have a tree behind me to break up my outline, but I'm I'm letting my camo work maybe a little bit more on elk and risking my setup because I do have to draw my bow. I do need to be able to get away with a little more movement where, you know, turkeys, once I get my back set up, I've really just got to swing my gun. Um, but other than that, I don't want to set up behind a pile of brush for either. Um, you know, you got an arrow hanging out the end of your bow. You don't want to have to turn and get, you know, 30 inches of arrow tangled up in brush. You don't want the arrow to fall off your rest. Same thing with turkeys. Like if you have to swing your gun, you do not want to catch even the smallest little twig and make it move as you're moving your gun. So always in front of the brush, let it break up your you know your background, um, let your camo work. And then I guess the other difference is in turkeys, I feel a little bit um, you know hamstrung because my butt's on the ground versus elk. I can make more adjustments as he's coming in. If I hear that he's you know, coming to my right, I can just turn my feet. Uh, I, I got more freedom versus I'm probably not when a turkey's coming in, going to like stand up and move my chair a different direction. So I feel like with turkeys, I've got to make a little more of a decision when I sit down, like, can I ride this position out or is it going to ultimately cost me um, is the main difference. But yeah, very similar brush on your background, make sure you can move your weapon. And then, you know, turkey's eyesight's going to be a little bit better. But the nice thing about turkeys a lot of times is we're maybe we're, we're not very smart for not using elk decoys. If we're in a spot or a situation where decoys make sense, we can get some of the attention off of ourselves and onto that decoy, which gives you a little bit more flexibility. But you still, I mean, if that turkey is 60, 70 yards away and you make any slight movement, even with a decoy, that head just whips to you, locks on you, and it's usually over. So, yeah, really, really similar um, when we're setting up. Yeah. I will say um, one thing, you know, depending on what kind of camp you are, which camp you're in for elk setups, um, some guys are all about being on their knees on their setup. Um, I 99.9% of the time I won't, will not take it, my knees uh, on an yep. elk setup. Um, just because I want to, I want to be able to swing left or right. I want to be able to quickly, uh, move my position if I need to. I don't want my legs to fall asleep or yep. kinda, if the bull comes in at a weird angle, I'm stuck facing the wrong direction. But, yep. uh, typically you're not going to set up for turkeys on your knees. You're yep. not going to, you're not going to typically stand, um, unless you've had to, you know, to set yeah. up for a turkey, you're going to want to yep. sit down comfortably so you can be there and then have your, you know, like you said, be mobile with your, with your shotgun, you know, be able to swing left or right. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. And then as far as tactics at work, um, we're going to jump, we'll kind of finish up with this cold calling and why I feel that I don't have great success you know, ever sitting down in some random spot where I think there might be elk and starting to like, uh, you know, cow call, maybe bugle occasionally versus why I feel if you're in a decent spot, cold calling works so much better for turkeys. Um, with that said, I will add the, the asterisks that we've did a lot of our own little like made up rut parties the last couple of years during elk and they've worked fairly successful. But I think we sit down knowing that there was a bull around you know, four or five, 600 yards within the last 20 minutes. So I would say those are like lukewarm calling setups, but where truly, if we don't know anything is, is around and just sitting down, picking a spot and starting to call why I think that works so well, um, you know, on turkeys versus why it doesn't work so well on elk. 
Um, I'll let you take a take a crack at why it doesn't work so well on elk and maybe why it works so well on turkey, and then I'll add to it if if we've we've got some some things to add. Yeah, well, I think one reason it, it's a little bit weird for elk is um, we get back to that whole nose thing. You know, sometimes that calling cold calling setup, you will get a reaction from an elk, but it won't be a vocal reaction. It'll be him a reaction by him coming and checking you out. And a lot of times they'll come in downwind and you may not even ever know it unless you hear a twig pop or something. You may hear a little bit of something and they never hear anything again. That could have been a bull that came in to check you out and he was smart enough to come in downwind. Um, whereas a turkey on your cold call setup, they come in, um, as long as they don't catch your movement, eventually they're going to give their stuff away. They're not going to smell you, you know, and they may not even be vocal. They may not, um, gobble, but you may, you might hear them drumming, you know, you yep. might hear them kind of ru- rustle in the, rustle in the leaves or whatever as, as they, as they strut in. So, um, I think, I think there, there's a kind of a, one big difference why, why cold calling on, on turkeys is a little more, a little more, um, works a little better. And, and sometimes like, it seems like when I'm cold, cold calling for turkeys, it's, it's middle of the day. Yeah. Um, and I see a lot of toms, they're just out cruising in the middle of the day. They're just, they're just covering ground, you know, looking for hens. Uh, if they don't have a flock to tend of their own already, um, they're just out cruising. And I see that a lot, a lot of just single toms out just looking. Whereas yep. a lot of times middle of the day for elk, they've already kind of did their cruising at night. And first thing in the morning, um, now that's, there's a big asterisk by that too, because when it's, when it, the weather's not, you know, nice and cold and maybe one of those old rainy days, overcast days in September and, and they're really looking for love. Yeah. Bulls will, they'll cover a lot of ground in the middle of the day too, um, if they don't have any ladies. But, um, a lot of times typically elk kind of want to bed down in the middle of the day in their little sanctuary, catch up on their night's rest because they rutted hard all night or whatever. So, um. There's, there's never, uh, how do I say this? There's never, always, never. And there's never, always, always <laughs> you, on, on either one of those. That doesn't yep. make any sense. That yeah. doesn't make any to, sense. I'm going to have to write um, that one down, Dirk, to try to decipher what that just meant. Yeah. Well, I guess you, you can't ever, you can't never say never. And yeah, you can't yeah, always exactly, say yeah. always, right? Yeah. There's so yeah. much variation, um, but there's, there's some similarities through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got it. And that's what, that's what I've come up with, like trying to figure out why and how come is, you know, the, the, the main difference is your, I guess the similarities are first thing in the morning, I would call it like active calling. Typically you're on an elk or you're on a turkey and you're doing the, you know, get ahead of them, chase them, try to get within distance. And then where the biggest change is, as you alluded to, is the elk are going to go bed down. Like their, their action is, is done at that point. And so we've all went through this active calling, the elk going bed down. Now we've got to make a decision, you know, whether we're going to mess with them in bed or if we're going to leave them alone and, and hunt them that evening or whatnot. And um, versus the turkeys are the opposite. Like typically what happens is the hens will leave to go nest. And now that gobbler's left all alone and he's willing to cover tons of distance because he's not going to bed down. You know, he's going to stay on his feet. He's going to look for other hens that aren't on a nest, which we can be that perfect hen that he's looking for in that area. So I think that's the major difference where, you know, all of the elk go to bed, only the hens go to nest. And then typically we're, we're no longer in an active calling situation where we we're done chasing birds. We can now, 
you know, to cold calling is going to work better because we just have a lot better uh, you know, recipient that that Tom Turkey is a lot more receptive to cold calling in the middle of the day versus a, a, a bull that's bedded down and, and kind of wait until the evening. Yeah, it's almost like they're they're complete polar opposites on their schedules. Yep. Right. Elk love to run around all night long. Turkeys want to lay st- lay in a tree all night long. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Elk like to bed down in the middle of the day. Turkeys like to run around in the middle of the day. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, I, in my opinion, to kind of to wrap this up, you know, there are some stark differences in turkey versus elk hunting, but I, I would have to say there's, you know, a lot more similarities, um, you know, as far as how you call them, as far as how you, you know, move on them, as far as how you're going to set up. Um, so I, I guess I, I'm still I'm still confused why there's so much hate, you know. I, I don't even know if it's hate, just uh, you know, um, disgust with with turkey hunters or you know people liking to get excited to go turkey hunting out west. I absolutely love it. I look forward to, to hunting this year. You know, we're going to head back to Kansas. If you can come up here to Eastern Washington, we're going to hopefully you know hunt our northeast corner where I kind of grew up turkey hunting. And like I say, I just. As much as I love to hunt elk, bugling elk in the fall, I look forward to spring turkey hunting, you know, just just a notch right below that. But but it definitely gets me excited. And it, it's the same same game, in my opinion, to, to go out, locate, get as close as you can, and try to reverse nature and call this bird into your lap. Well, it's such a great time of year to be out there, you know. You've been cooped up all winter, and finally, you got some pretty days, some, some sunny days. Just, you know what, even if the birds aren't, playing the game like you want it sure is nice to get the heck out of the house you know it's just a great time to be out there but and one more thing i was thinking about um as far as similarities for elk and turkeys um shot placement right shot placement elk are big tough animals um unless you shoot you know accurately into the right spot right in the vitals they're hard to kill and or recover And same with turkeys. I mean, if you blast a turkey mid-body with your shotgun, you're probably not going to get it unless yep. it's like point-blank range, yep. right? They're just so tough. You know, yep. you, you have to take ethical shots that are going to kill them quickly. Uh, same as elk. You know, whether in, it don't matter whether you're archery or, or shotgun, you know, yep. for, for turkeys. Yeah, you have to fool them. You have to get them close. And then, like you said, make a, make a great shot. So there's a lot of similarities just in like a – the the main overview, like the thirty thousand foot view, is you know you're you're locating an animal, you're getting them close, and you're having to make a good shot, um, which you know they, they carry a lot of similarities there. Um, you know, I I agree with you, Dirk. I absolutely love the springtime. I love the weather's changing, the days are getting long. Um, the the days getting long, I could do without though, because it seems like by the time you're done roosting a bird, get to bed, and then have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go sit under a tree, that you you don't get a whole lot of sleep, and then. Um, the other thing I hate about spring turkey, and this may be the only thing I hate about spring turkey, is them damn ticks. Um, I've tried spraying permethrin, everything, and it still just seems like you're sitting there letting these things crawl all over you. We had, I think we both ended up with a bunch of ticks last year and uh, limes. I and picked half off and eight of them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like them. Um, you know, a couple, I think I was on a couple different prescriptions for doxycycline a couple cycles last year um it's yeah but i absolutely look forward to to turkey hunting every year um it's it's just a fun time um and whether you can hate me you can hate me for saying this or not it's very very similar to to elk hunting and uh, i look forward to it 
yeah, it's it's fun. You know, I I know you you know you you blow a pink call and you know, but you're okay with it, and you're okay with <laughs> loving turkey hunting too. So, all right, perfect. You you let both of those slide. Yeah, I'll let it slide. In closing, if you could give one piece of advice to turkey hunters out there that may add to their success, what would it be? Ah, uh, you know, it's going to be my kind of go-to for elk hunting. And it's be persistent. Don't give up. It's so easy to give up on turkeys and be, get frustrated. I think turkeys are way more frustrating than elk even. Um, but you just got to keep at it because I don't know how many times I've been frustrated beyond belief and then have it it turn around in the next hour to where it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. That's probably the best caller in the world after, <laughs> you know, that little performance. Yep. So you just, yep. you, you have to let your calls work. You have to give them time to work. And especially if you're a new hunter and you just haven't had a lot of re- interactions or success calling turkeys, it's okay. Just stick with it because it, you'll get it. You'll get it. Yep. And, and then you'll fit, you'll start seeing all the nuances of like where it went right and where it went wrong. And then you'll be a lot more consistent at killing them. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate having you on the show here today, Dirk, and uh, good luck this spring and uh, look forward to chasing birds with you. Yep. Sounds good. Can't wait. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details.